Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. I know that this is where we were last week. And I do not intend to preach the same message. And yet, I do intend to continue to preach the message because what is in my heart right now and what cannot be shaken is this fact that there's nothing more essential to my life or your life than knowing and doing the will of God. Nothing. It's the most important thing. Look at verse 10 and we'll read down to verse 17 this morning. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And that right there is a great verse. Be encouraged by that verse. You can know what pleases God. You can discern it. That's good. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise." redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This morning I want to preach on the essential will of God. It is the most important thing in my life that I know and do. It ought to be, it must be the priority of your life and my life that we know and do the will of God. Now, there'll be somebody sitting here, maybe right now, who would even think honestly from their honest heart would say, I'm not sure I even know what God's will for my life is. Now, if you're thinking that, on the one hand, good. If it's coming from an honest place where you say, I really just... Boy, I just don't even know what God's will for my life is. I'm just going to be honest about it. That's a good thing. It's good to be honest about that. But let me also encourage you to say again, you can know what God's will for your life is. And I know it's a long process. I've been preaching on the will of God for weeks now. But we're headed towards the discerning and how to know what God's will for our life is. So there's help coming, but if we don't understand these foundational things, I don't think we're ready to, to really work and live and do the will of God. While we were away on our trip this past week, I got to tell you that the most burning question that I received from the Lord in my heart, the one that I carried back with me that probably haunts me, if that's the right word, that's probably not a good word, but the one that sticks with me the most, convicts me, there's the word I'm looking for, is this, what am I really doing? What am I really doing? I was sitting out on the, the, uh, the, the deck, the porch of the, the cabin where we were staying, and I was sitting there thinking, this is a wonderful place, a lovely place, I'm enjoying myself, but what am I really doing? What am I doing with my life? What am I doing here in this place? What am I doing when I go back home? Is my life really being spent for the glory of God, or am I just wasting it? That's the question that, that I really had burned into my heart this week. 
And in some of the reading that I was doing, I was brought back to this famous line, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And I thought, this is my thought now. I know it was my thought because I wrote it down. I thought, seriously? I've heard that my whole life, but am I actually doing anything for Christ? Have I done, what have I done for Christ today? That was the question. I thought to myself, what if I'm sitting out on this day? I know where I'm, there, where I'm at and why I went there and I had to come back to that. But in that moment, I was challenged by that thought. Am I really doing anything for Jesus? You know, that's a question that should guide my life every day. And, and it should guide your life every day. It's a really good question. You know, any question that convicts us is a good question, isn't it? You know, that line comes from a poem, Only One Life, written by British missionary Charles Thomas Studd. And here, here's, here's what it says. Here's, a, here's part of it, not the whole thing, but here's most of it. I want to read it to you. I tried to think how I could edit it down, and every line is so good. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, Soon its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a, bru a brief few years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing Thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I got to tell you, that's written by a man who lived his life and died in the cause of Christ. That's convicting. Now, I will be quick to follow that up with, is, with this, that you don't have to be called and go out into a foreign mission field for your life to be spent for Christ. Not at all. Some of us here, though, that might be God's will for us. And to find that will would be the most important thing of our life. Now, there's... No emotional decisions that we need to make when we're talking about doing the will of God. But rather, we need to work out of the place where real change can happen. You see, we're talking about the will of God. And the will of God 
is the desire, the heart of God. So we could say it and be right. We're talking about the heart of God. What is God's heart? What is God's desire? And for us to be in that, to live in and do the will of God, must first be a matter of our own will, which means it has to come from the heart, the desire. It's not something we do logically. It's not something we do emotionally. It's something we do willfully, volitionally. We don't even have to feel like doing it. We, it don't even have to make sense. We do the will of God because God said this is what he wants. And we do it. We decide, we resign ourselves that we're going to do the will of God. It does not matter what it is. William Law wrote the book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. And listen to how he, he states this. He says, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It's not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice. But it is he who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. The core of that is, he says, the greatest saint in the world is the one who wills everything that God wills, who desires everything that God desires. The will is our capacity to agree or disagree. It's our capacity to give consent or withhold consent. And so to do the will of God, to join in God's will, is to say, I will agree with what God agrees with. I will disagree with what God disagrees with. I will consent myself to what God has called me to. I will not consent myself to the things that God has said. Don't do that. That's to live in the will of God. Greatest saint in the world. That's the essence of a surrendered life. And that is the greatest question to be answered what am I doing what am I doing what am I really doing now that thought led me to this next question which is what are we as a church really doing I walked in that afternoon from the, the deck and I, I went straight to Athena and I told her the same thing what are we doing as a church, what are we really doing? Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not by the question suggesting that we're not doing anything that's worth anything. I'm not saying that. But I think the essence of that question is to cause us to step back and say, are we doing all we could be doing? Are we doing some things we shouldn't be doing are we wasting time are we wasting money are we wasting resources what are we really doing what are we doing for the kingdom of god and the gospel of christ i mean it when i say this i wish we could all just sit here for about a half an hour quietly and think about that question 
whatever your role is in this church and the ministries of this church, to sit with that question for a half an hour, what are we really doing? What are we doing for the kingdom and for the gospel as opposed to what are we simply doing for ourselves? How do we spend money, our own money? How do we spend money in the church? Does it reflect a life yielded to the will of God? How do we schedule activities? Even as a church, when we come up with things to do, why do we do them? Do we do them for the kingdom or do we do them for our own pleasure? Do we do things because, well, we should do things. That's not good enough. We ought to know why we do them. And if the answer is not to do God's will and to bring glory to His name, then we ought not to do it. I'll be honest with you. I'd be far happier, more content to do less stuff and spend my time with the Lord if we're just doing stuff to do stuff. I don't want to waste that time. I don't want you to waste that time. What am I doing for the Great Commission? What am I doing for the Great Commission? Am I really surrendered or am I hiding behind uh, the missions program where I can, I can say that I give? Well, I give to missions. Sometimes we give to missions as a way to cover ourselves so we can say that we're doing something for the Great Commission. Drilling this right on down to uh, the shoe leather, can we look back over our life just yesterday and see how we lived it for the glory of God? Or if we're honest, did we just live according to what we wanted to do or what others expected out of us? Neither of which would be the right answer. Look again at verse 15 through 17 and let's drill the, the point home. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Here's the takeaway. There is nothing more essential to my life than the will of God. And yet as I read that text in verse 17, I am compelled to ask this question. How can I ensure that I am not living foolishly and wasting my life? Because that's the order, that's the command there. Don't live foolishly, don't waste your life, live wisely. Know the will of God and do that. And on behalf of this church and as your pastor, how can I help the people, every member of this church, to not live foolishly and waste their life? I have a God-ordained role in the answer to that question. I won't go home with you today. I won't be there when you wake up in the morning. I won't make all the choices for you, and I don't have a right to do that. I'm not Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord of your life. 
But as your pastor, I have a God-ordained, biblically-supported role to help answer that question. How can I help you not to live foolishly and waste your life? Let me give you a few scriptures and listen to these words and, and, and the life that they compel us to, which is total surrender to God. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 27. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man came, shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Listen to the way he ends this. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. I fear we've overlooked that verse. Just as much the words of Jesus as the rest of it. When he comes, he will judge every man according to his works. How you live matters. Every choice you make matters. I know our sin is under the blood, but if you think God doesn't care how you live, you're in for a very shocking revelation one day. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? I believe if the Apostle Paul was here today and he was giving that firsthand, he'd probably, that'd be the point where he would pound that pulpit and say, people, you are not your own. Stop living like you are. You know why he would be so passionate about that? Because of what he's already explained and will explain again. He says, for ye are bought with a price. What is that price? the life of Jesus, the blood that Jesus shed. And Paul would not stand here and sugarcoat that. He would say, you've got to stop living like it's your life to make the call on. You get up tomorrow morning, it ain't about what you want to do. Not and until you have given it all to the will of God. That's the good part of it. That's the really encouraging good news that we've alluded to numerous times and not really spent a lot of time on yet. But when you're in the will of God, when you're living in the will of God, you get to make all kind of great choices. But some of us have never yielded ourselves to the will of God. We're just doing what we want to do apart from the will of God. And we have no right to that. Glorify God in your body. It's not metaphorical, people. What you do with your body matters. It matters so much, it's throughout the entire Bible. Where you take your body, the way you clothe or unclothe your body in public. The amount of food that you put into your body. All these things matter. Do they glorify God or do they glorify your flesh? You're not your own. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. What is the spirit? The spirit is the will, the desire, the heart. Glorify God in your heart. 
desire nothing but what God desires. Preacher, have you reached the point yet where you only desire what God desires? Absolutely no. No, but I tell you what is happening in my life. I'm getting so sick and tired of my, my failure. I'm sick and tired of my flesh. I don't like anything about me that doesn't like the will of God. I know Jesus didn't literally mean it. Because if he did, every one of his 12 disciples would have been blind and maimed. But when he said, cut, out, cut off your hand and poke out your eye, I'm beginning more and more, I'm learning what that means. I think the AP quoted it the other night, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And as our heart grows to love Jesus more, we despise that old man so much. He has a right, that old man does. You know what his right is? To die. Now I'm going to take care of my body the best I can to be the vessel that it can be for God's glory. But when I look in that mirror and I see lines and discoloration and marks that weren't there a month ago, a week ago, I say, old oh, man, you deserve to die. It's not the body. Our bodies are good things. God loves our bodies. God gave us our bodies. But boy, that fleshly nature that seems to manifest itself so much in our physical bodies, it has the right to die. And we ought to kill it. Again, my attention was brought to the words of another minister from many years ago while I was away this week. Jonathan Edwards. 300 years ago, when he was in his early 20s, Jonathan Edwards compiled a list of life resolutions. Over the course of a couple of years, he ended up with a list of 70 re resolutions. These were not flippant thoughts. I told Athena driving in this morning, I said, those things are just convicting just reading them. The devotion to God that this man in his early 20s had. I'm not going to read all 70 of them, but I tell you, if you can get a copy of the list, you ought to. Here are a few. Resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be nor suffer it if I can avoid it. I know we don't talk like that anymore, but he said, my resolution in life is to not be a part of anything, to do anything, or to allow anything that is not to the glory of God. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? And it's real easy to say that, isn't it? You know what's amazing about these men and these women? They didn't just say this stuff. The reason we're referring to them 300 years later is because they lived it. And they showed us how it can be done. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Man, if that don't just nail you, it does me. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. 
You think these are biblical? What does the Bible say? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Give it everything you've got. And if we're doing anything, we can't give it everything we've got. We ought to not even waste our time doing it. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Now just let that one set with you a little while. But what if I do something that I ought not do? What if I sin? What if I say the wrong thing or think the wrong thing or act out in anger? What should I do? Then confess it and make it right because that'd be the will of God. And see, we can live in the will of God even though we're weak. Even though our flesh wars against it, God has made a way by His grace. And I want to ask myself a question honestly and answer it honestly before all of you. Did I use my day yesterday to the fullest extent for the glory of God? And I have to answer no. And I regret that. Now I know that we're not to compare ourselves with one another or with other men or women, but when I read of the lives of these great men and women who have lived for and surrendered all for and died in the cause of the kingdom and the gospel of Christ, I have to tell you, I feel some measure of remorse in my life. There's sorrow there. There's regret. But the question is, what will I do about that? Will I just be regretful all my days or will I repent of my poor living and seek to improve my way in the will of God. You see? The pains, the remorse, the regret is for God's glory if we act on it. If you're bothered by preaching, praise God for it. Praise God for it. God won't let you be comfortable where you ought not be comfortable, and you praise God for it, and you move toward God in it. And you say, God, help me and deliver me from this way of selfishness that I live in, where my will is more important than your will. Because our lives are wasted whenever we do anything for any other reason than for the glory of God. We were created for God's glory, and our lives are to be lived even to the details for the glory of God. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, that's not just some cliche thing. He meant what he said. He said, you ought to eat. When you sit down at the table, it's for the glory of God. When you have your morning coffee, it's for the glory of God. One more of Edward's resolutions. Resolution number 40. Resolved to inquire every night before I go to bed whether I have acted in the best way I possibly could with respect to eating and drinking. Who does that? How many of us last night before we went to sleep said, did I glorify God today in how I was eating and drinking? It's worth trying to live up to, isn't it? It's 
especially since it's got some scripture to back it up. How many of I told Athena, I shouldn't say all this. It's because we were just on a trip. I picked up another bottle of antacids. Ever since I went to the Grand Canyon, I got indigestion that will flare up. I don't know what happened on that trip. That probably wasn't for the glory of God, the way we got beat up on that. But I brought one home from the trip, and I had three bottles sitting in the bedroom that was on the little nightstand this morning. I said, but we look like pitiful people. It's because I've picked them up here and there along the way, you know. It matters, right? How many of us have problems? You know how much of our physical ailments and diseases related to our malnutrition? Just about all of them. I keep a case of water in the back of the Explorer now all the time because after that trip, I found that I have to hydrate, 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 hydrate. We do all to the glory of God. Every detail of our lives matter. To get it right, I want to live in the will of God every day. Yes, every second. That's how we get it right. And that's a huge undertaking. It seems impossible. Who can really live this way? And actually, we all can. We all can. Because God's not a tyrant. God's a father. God doesn't make it hard. He'll make it a lot easier for you. But it's that very first thing of just letting go of ourself. Of doing what we want to do. You know what happens in most counseling sessions? Now, if you've ever met with me for counseling, I'm not talking about you. And really, I am thinking more. I'm remembering, honestly, my days as, a, uh, as an army chaplain and when I was with the Rock of Ages in the prisons. Because I'm going to be honest. I, let me just go ahead and finish that thought. There ain't many people in church come looking for counsel. I thought when I became a pastor... All right, man, I, I'm ready now. I've done all this counseling, and I was terrible at it all these years, but God's people, they're going to want Bible counsel. I'll be ready. I don't need all these fingers to count the number of times in almost seven years that I've had people come to me for counsel. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Why go to the pastor when you've got Google? Right? It's what's happened. But that's a whole other message for a whole other time. Most people, when they come to counseling, though, you know what I've learned? They're looking for somebody to simply agree with them. And if they come and they tell you what they're intending to do and you don't agree with it, you know what they do? They might or might not thank you for your time, but they'll go down and find somebody that will agree with what they're wanting to do. That's not looking for counsel. That's just looking for somebody to tell you that you are free to do whatever you want to do. You see, God doesn't work that way either. God says until you're not determined to do your will, you're never going to be able to live in my will. And that's the very first thing. We do this by begin, we begin here by knowing and by owning the reality that we were created for the glory of God. As the AP read this morning in Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. That's why we were made. That's why you were created. You weren't created for yourself. You weren't created to bring glory to yourself. You were created for God. 
to bring glory to Him. How much of what we do on a daily basis is designed to make us look good? Now, I ought to say that again. How much of what we do on a daily basis is designed and intended to make us look good? Truth be told, just moderate level of most of it. Maturing in Christ means that the older I get, the further down the road I get, the less that's true about my life. The less it is about trying to make me look good and the more it is about making God look good. That's the mark of maturity. Every one of us who have believed in Christ, who've been born again, we've been purchased by His blood, we have been set apart for God. As Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2, 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And if the glory of God is our highest purpose, then the will of God must be our chiefest pursuit. If the glory of God is our highest purpose, and it should be, then the will of God must be our chiefest pursuit. It is only by our living in and doing the will of God that we bring the fullest measure of glory to God. And so, from our text last week and this week, it is clear. We must understand, that is, we need to seek to know what the will of the Lord is. And to this point, there are some things which I hope are becoming very clear to us after these few weeks of preaching in this. And this is what I will close with this morning. And that is to say that, number one, God has a will for all things, including my life and your life, and that is the priority. That should be abundantly clear. I don't mean just acknowledged but it should be clear to us by now scripturally this is the foundation that we have laid that God has a will for all things including my life and yours and that's the priority secondly it should be clear that God's will is knowable we can know the will of God and so there's no excuse for not living in the will of God if we're not in the will of God right now today, I don't mean because we're bodily presently sitting in the church building, although that's a, that's a good thing and that would be, I would believe, within the will of God. But if in the state of our life, if in the state of our heart, if we're not living in the will of God right now, there's no excuse for that. You will not be excused before God for that. You will not be able to say, well, I just didn't know what your will was. You will never be excused because the will of God is knowable. That's clear from our text. And number three, what should be abundantly clear by now is that God's will, if it is, and it is, and if it's knowable, and it is, God's will is number three, very discernible. That is, here's how it's known. It is discernible to those who position themselves to receive the transmission. Now, I haven't had 
this past week much trouble with this. Some people tried to call me this past week. I just ignored them. Right, AP? But you know how it is when you're somewhere and you don't have much signal and you need to talk to somebody? And if you don't have signal, what do you do? Well, some of us, if we don't want to talk, we just say, I can't hear you. I'll call you back. But if we really want to have a conversation, we, we get up and we move around. Hold on. Hold on. I got two bars. Hold, hold, hold on. I've been on the other end of that before, and I'm thinking to myself, why don't they just hang up? I ain't got time to sit here and wait on them to find a signal. That's when I start thinking about faking that I don't have a signal. But you know how it is. We will go until we find the signal. Probably less so for a phone call than for our social media. We, 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 we don't want to go along without that, do we? Man, I'm going to get a signal somewhere. You mean they don't have internet service at that place? <laughs> I ain't going there. We will look for a signal. Now, if we put that same effort into discerning the will of God, it wouldn't even take that much effort. I hear what I just said. If you would seek to know the will of God, to discern the will of God, it wouldn't take the effort that some of you put into trying to get a signal on your phone. Because God's intention is not to make it hard. There are some things which God has revealed that are clearly, without doubt, His will for all of us. And when we, you, when we will choose to live in those things, then the more detailed things for our personal lives will come much easier. So, that third thing, let's review them. God's will, if he has a will, and he does, God does have a will. Number two, God's will is knowable. And number three, God's will is discernible by those who will position themselves to receive the transmission. That was last week's message. Practice separation from evil, pursue wisdom, permit the work of the Spirit in your life, and you will be able to discern the will of God. Right out of our text. 